And I came back a few minutes later and walked up behind her. She's still washing dishes. I, I pressed my body into her from behind and kind of let her feel the weight of my body and kind of, you know, put my face up next to her and said, you know, you know how much I love you. And I said, I'm hard. I'm sorry. I did something that felt hurtful to you. And then I gave her a kiss and left her alone a little bit more. And then I came back and, you know, kind of engaged with her a little bit more, a little bit more tussle, a little, brought a little sexual energy to it. And I could feel her softening. And then by this, you know, within an hour later, she was singing and playing with the dog and in, in a decent mood. And, and I could just see. For this episode, if you are new to the podcast, I just wanted to share a few things. One is that if you want to get more involved in the community, you can always join our Patreon, which is the community aspect of this podcast. We do a monthly Q&A, a live Q&A with myself each month. And if you join at a $10 level a month or more, you get access to that. You can just Google Dear Men Podcast Patreon. It should come up right away. And if you are interested in my streaming course, I teach a streaming course on sex. It's called Please Her in Bed, a course for men designed by women. It is based on my sex research. It is streaming, so it's available at any time. And if you want to do that, the course is usually $97, but if you use the code Dear Men, that's all one word, Dear Men, it drops it to 69 so I hope you enjoy this episode and you can always get me at dearmenpodcast at gmail.com. If you have any questions or comments, I do read all of my mail. So please get in touch if that is interesting to you. Thank you. Hey everyone, welcome back to a new uh, episode. I am happy to have with me, actually to have back with me, Dr. Robert Glover, who is a coach, a speaker, an educator, and a relationship expert with over 40 years of experience. He is the author of No More Mr. Nice Guy, which is a book that I used to actually require my clients to read because I thought it was so amazing. I love people like you. <laughs> he has helped thousands of men and women worldwide get what they want in love, sex, and life. And today we're talking about tussling, All right. um, which is a fun topic and one that I think we haven't really talked about in this context before. Um, and I would love to hear a little bit about your experience of tussling from your side of sort of like, and to be clear, we're mostly today going to be talking about, you know, cishet relationships with men who have sex with women and women who have sex with men and that kind of dynamic of tussling in there. So what, what, what is your definition of tussling and how have you experienced it in relationship? Oh my goodness. You, you said <laughs> we were only going to go about an hour. We're talking about, you know, 12 hours worth of, all right. So, you know, I don't know that I use the word tussle a lot. I, I use the word, the phrase um, emotional tension, which is is the same thing. We could all, I think we could also use polarity uh, in the same way. And and what we're talking about is, I like polarity because it's like we got we got two mag magnetic poles. We got a positive and minus, and those aren't there's those aren't judgment con connotations, but 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 there, there's an attraction 
um, through differences of energies. And, um, you know, while, while we talk, we're probably going to talk a lot about masculine and feminine energies. And, and I always try to be really clear that when I say masculine, I'm not, I don't just mean men. And when I say feminine, I don't just mean men, women. That um, we, we all have masculine and feminine energies within us, yin and yang, and we, and we can access them. But most of us have a, a default. Um, where we lean more towards masculine or lean more towards feminine. And again, that doesn't always necessarily mean man or woman. I, like a lot of men I work with, have a pretty strong feminine side. Um, I, I'm, I like relationship. I like connection. I'm pretty easygoing. I'm a peacemaker. Uh, and I've had to learn in some ways to be take more of the masculine pole, uh, more of the leadership, more, more, more of a dominant position. And, and a lot of women nowadays have been basically trained since birth to be really strong, to compete. You know, they grow up playing soccer, softball. They're told you go get a career, go compete. And um, and so, you know, most women out there can whip most men's asses nowadays. Um, it's, it's just kind of how things have, have shifted over the last, you know, 20, 30, 40 years. So when we talk about tussle, we're talking about how the masculine and feminine, the yin and the yang interact with each other. And, and it's not necessarily always smooth, but that's not such necessarily a bad thing. Now, what I'll just throw out is that, you know, if we kind of go back to the, in the uh, David Data heritage and, and, you know, the masculine is, is, is constant. It's, it's, it seeks consistency and, and it seeks uh, nothingness where it just wants to just basically go conquer and then be left alone. Whereas in my definition, the, the feminine, and David would say this, the feminine is all about connection and the flow of love. And so that's the deepest desire of the feminine. Whereas the deepest desire of the masculine is just solve the problem and, you know, kick back and relax. So that's why tussle is such an interesting thing. While, while, while the feminine is wanting to, let's connect, let's play, let's argue, let's fight, let's debate, let's pout, let's withdraw, let's cry. And, and because that's, that's connection and flow of love. You know, I've, you know, I've got your attention. If I've got you arguing with me, if I've got you uh, upset in a little bit, the feminine's in bliss. The masculine's going, this is a problem to be solved. We have to resolve this. We have to get this done because sports center comes on in 30 minutes, you know, or the game comes on, or I, I just fucking want to be left alone. Right. And, and it's not to say, you know, again, that, that, Men with a masculine side don't have a desire for connection. We just tend to do it differently than, than feminine creatures that, you know, want to tussle. So I, I like that you, you know, invited me to come talk on the subject because most men do not particularly enjoy tussle. And in most women, I don't know if they call it that per se, but but they do like the energy that comes from, you know, there being attention. That's why I talk about emotional tension. And that's why I teach men, I teach a class called positive emotional tension, where men can learn how to consciously show up in a masculine state and create the kind of emotional tension that will feel good both for them and for their partner. And I tell guys, because if you don't create positive emotional tension, odds are your partner will create negative emotional tension because she has to have it. It just is how, how the feminine feels connected. So, and, you know, I think we'll probably dive in as we talk further, the difference between that kind of energy versus um, tussle that gets destructive or abusive or hurtful. 
And, and, you know, I, I know you want to talk about that some too, but that's just kind of me laying that out a little bit. Now, as a guy, and as, I'm a relationship expert, which means I had a PhD in marriage and family therapy at 29, and I've been married three times. And, and so I keep trying. I, I, I say I keep bumbling my way through every relationship I've ever had. Having a PhD really didn't help much in terms of me figuring out how, how, to, how to pick you know, a, a person that's a good match for me, how, how to work through it. But, but the truth is, every relationship I've been in has taught me so much. I'm so grateful for every one of them. And again, what, what I learned about, you know, the whole thing of tussle is, is I do kind of lean in that guy direction. I, I, I like to call him, you know, can't we just talk about this? Can't we just figure this out? Can't we just find a solution and move on and be happy? Why do we have to be unhappy? Why do we have to fight? Why, why does this have to keep us awake all night? Couldn't we just resolve it at 1030 and be done and not go till three? But, but again, that that's me and probably a lot of men you know, that, that lean more towards that masculine direction can relate to that, that while we're trying to put all out all of this emotional tension, we're actually killing the thing that the feminine most needs in order to feel connection and a flow of love. So that's why we men actually need training in how, how to do the tussle, how to create that positive emotional tension, how to welcome it, how to embrace it, how to dance with it, how to laugh at it, smile with it, love it. And, um, but that takes a lot of work because <laughs> most of us don't. Well, it's, it's such a good point because I think, you know, a lot of the men that I've worked with sort of fall into different buckets or archetypes. And one of them is the peacemaker, right? Mm -hmm. He doesn't want there to be tension or, or, yeah, or tussle, you know, he doesn't want to he's basically will placate or kind of do anything necessary mm -hmm. to mitigate the emotional, the emotional tension, the emotional storm. So whatever it takes, he's going to be doing that yeah. to, to try to minimize it. And, you know, another archetype that I have seen is he's got his own emotional overwhelm and has figured out some way of checking out from that. So he actually doesn't really want to feel his own storm. And so there's a way he'll withdraw or sort of just he'll remove himself. Whether or not he stays in the room, he might yeah. stay in the room, oh, yeah. but he is checked out. Like he will just, he is oh, not. I, I, like I said, I've, I've been a marriage therapist for a long time. <laughs> I've heard women talk about that guy. So, so, um, so, so I, let me ask you, let me kind of interview you because I'm curious about this from, from a feminine point of view. Um, do you find that women then will consciously or unconsciously do things to try to activate his storm because feeling that storm feels better than the nothingness they keep experiencing? Absolutely. Absolutely. I remember when I was with my ex at one point, he was distracted or preoccupied, which I find a lot of men frequently are. Uh, I'm, I'm thinking, aren't you talking about guys? <laughs> I know, I know we're making generalizations, but yeah. yeah. And he was, um, he was a pretty solid checker outer type. And I remember we were walking down the street and he was doing his preoccupied thing and we were going somewhere like to get pizza or something. And I, I said something like edgy and I, I don't remember what it was. I wish I could remember, but he kind of looked at me and he was like, what are you doing? And I was like, I'm poking the bear. I'm mm -hmm. poking the bear. Like I, it's not that I'm trying to get a rise out of you exactly, but like, where are you? 
Like yeah. I'm, I'm trying to get you to be present with me. Like, Hey, be present with me. Where yeah. are you? Where are you? And the way it came out and I really wish I could remember what it was, but it was something kind of jabby. It wasn't terribly unkind. It wasn't abusive. It wasn't crazy, but it was definitely edgy. And he seemed confused. Like, why are you sort of to your point, right? Of like, why would you bring that up? Or like, why are you talking about yeah. that? Why, why are you provoking me essentially? And I was like, I'm poking the bear. Like, I'm like, are you in there? Where are you? Like, where are you? Where are you? Because for me to be in your presence and have you not present with me is painful. For me to be in your presence and have you not present with me is painful. It is inherently yeah. painful to me. So what you what you said just now, which I'm pulling out as a quote, I've got your attention if I've got you arguing with me. Yeah. And so I think that some men experience women as difficult or I think crazy is a label that our, our culture. Puts oh, oh you, you've heard that before. <laughs> and I think those are all really unfair terms. And in consciousness work, I think we're getting a little bit more precise about yeah. the actual dynamics. But I do think there's something fundamental about a man's experience of like, why? Why do things have to be difficult? Like, why are you, why are you poking the bear? Like, I don't get it. Like, it doesn't yeah. compute for them. Yeah. But in my experience on the other side, it's like, I feel alone over here. Like, mm -hmm. hey, I feel alone. Like you, you say you care about me. Maybe we're even in a relationship. Maybe you even married me. And a lot of men are like, I married you. Like, what else do you want from me? I made a commitment. <laughs> I, I pay I, the bills. You know, exactly. You know, I contributed to this relationship all over the place, all the time. I don't, it's such a mystery. I think sometimes it's like, what do you want from me? And really on the other side, it's like, I want your attention. And, and what's funny is, you know, each of us has a kind of endless um, desire. I, I, most human beings have that. And I think for a lot of feminine beings, it's like, I want your attention all the time. Like, yeah. there's never a moment when I don't want your attention, which isn't really true. But I do think that there's something about when I'm in your presence and you're not really there with me, it, it just inherently hurts. It's painful. Yeah. And the way that I think, feminine beings will poke or prod or like tussle is partly to be like, Hey, I'm over here. Hey, I'm over here. Like, notice me, be with me, love me. And I think for a lot of men, it can be like confusing. Well, it is because think about this. Um, if the feminine needs that emotional tension needs any kind of energy that, Hey, that we're, we're connected, even if we're fighting, we're connected. You know, in fact, if we're fighting, we're more deeply connected than when we were walking down the street and you weren't talking to me. And, and again, for the feminine, it doesn't matter. It just needs the connection. It doesn't make that that judgment. Is this good connection or bad connection? The, 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 the feminine isn't doing that. And but think about men that or again, I'll speak in general of men, but think about the masculine. Think about men that kind of identify more in a masculine way. Well, just even think about men. Our our emotional tension is limited to you know a, a two hour you know action flick, a football game that has a clock on it, a hockey game with a clock on it. Um, we, we, we've got time limits, you know, and we got we got rules of how the how, how it has to play out and how it has to go. That that's because we just do not like tension all that much. In in fact, I would say that, that probably for the the eons. Of, of time of evolution, the reason why men got initiated by tribal elders was to teach them how to handle tension. 
how how to be in the wild, how to how to how to battle, how to hunt, how 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 to just deal with whatever. Because we men, again, the masculine just wants to go solve the problem and get things to good. I mean, just this very afternoon, my wife and I, she she made us something to eat around one o'clock when she got back from the gym, and we were sitting and. We we're both talking about how tired we've been. And 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 she says something about, you know, oh, you know, I, I've been up, you know, late, you know, so many nights. And I go, I, I know I, I'm in the bed with you. I know how late you're up. And and then all of a sudden she just reacted to that. And she said, you're always putting me down. And, you know, she started. Going, and I, I, I even said this to my classic, why do you always look for reasons to be upset? Why do you look for reasons to be mad at me? You know, I did, I, I was just making an observation that I know what time you went to bed because I'm in bed with you. And, 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 you know, I, and then I caught myself and then she started winding it up further and throwing a few accusations, you know, a few jabs went over to start doing the dishes. And I took a breath. I've had a little practice, took a breath and, um, just, just, I'm still sitting at the bar. She's over, you know, washing dishes, her back turned toward me and, um, I just made a kind comment. I thought I, I need to remove myself for just a minute. And yeah, you know, I didn't leave angry. I calmed myself pretty quickly because we, 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 she and I get to practice this with some regularity. And, um, and I came back a few minutes later and walked up behind her. She's still washing dishes. I, I pressed my body into her from behind and kind of let her feel the weight of my body and kind of, you know, put my face up next to her and said, you know, you know how much I love you. And I said, I'm hard. I'm sorry. I did something that felt hurtful to you. And then I gave her a kiss and left her alone a little bit more. And then I came back and, you know, kind of engaged with her a little bit more, a little bit more tussle, a little, brought a little sexual energy to it. And I could feel her softening. And then by this, you know, within an hour later, she was singing and playing with the dog and in, in a decent mood. And, and I could just see, okay, if I want to, you know, feel triggered, I'm being falsely accused, why she always has to be unhappy, and then it just turns into a destructive go-nowhere battle, or I can calm myself. I don't necessarily have to follow her down her trail of, you know, what whatever her stream of consciousness is when she's feeling hurt or done to or not loved. Um, but I didn't retreat. I, I removed myself for a moment, breathed, came back with a calm energy, with love, Knew that that wasn't going to open her completely, but it's okay. You know, literally gave her a little more time, came back again, and she softened and opened. And and really, again, all she wanted was to just feel seen by me, known by me, loved by me, connected to me. And and one of the things I've been teaching guys for some time, because this helped me a lot, we all go into story. Men, women, both. We go into story. Um, you know, and, and whenever things aren't going well, we, we, we tend to blame the other one. It's what they're doing, right? It's what they're doing. And for me, as the, the, the more masculine, energetic character in our relationship, now my, my wife is very strong. I mean, she can kick my ass. She works out two hours a day. She out squats me, out lifts me, grew up eight out of 10 kids in poverty in an alcoholic family in Guadalajara, Mexico. I grew up real white bread in the suburb of Seattle, right? So she, she can, she's very strong. But she's also so feminine. She she just she just loves to to, to be open by me and be and be connected to me and feel loved by me. So whenever she's in a mood or withdrawn or like you know looking for things to be upset about, like that's my definition. Instead of me running story, I've found if I can just 
say three things to myself. My wife's not feeling sufficiently loved by me right now. My wife's not feeling sufficiently connected to me right now. Or my wife's not feeling sufficiently safe and secure with me right now. Is there anything I can do about those three things? And that's, I mean, just me calming myself and reframing it, taking my story out of it and just seeing what is the feminine need. It just, I mean, it just shifts things like that. I mean, it amazes me how quickly it can shift if you bring that different energy to it. There's something I like about the not going into story, like you said, because I, I think that's what, so I've been working with some couples lately and that's something I've noticed is it's really easy to get caught up in the story. Oh, we right? all the do. Content, we all do. Right. The content of what, what we're talking about, if we're talking about the dishes or we're talking about you know, whatever the thing is, it's never the thing. It, it never is. It thing. never is. That's a, that's a rule of marriage therapy. Whatever yeah. they're fighting about, that ain't the thing. Yeah. And I like that, you know, those three questions, um, because it feels like it's, it's, it's usually about that. Does yeah. she feel loved? Does he feel trusted? Or does he feel like his freedom is being encroached upon or, you know, deeper, deeper things. Yeah. Get down the deeper wondering, stuff. Yeah. I'm wondering, you know, we talked a little bit, I would say several, a, a decent percentage of the clients that we work with have had a relationship with, with a woman with borderline personality disorder. And some know what that is and some don't. Yeah. But um, the, the, what caught my attention was, is my wife feeling sufficiently loved by me or seen by me or known by me? And sometimes a partner especially if she has borderline, there is just, it's never going to be enough. It's actually never going to be enough. So I'm curious, since you do have some experience with this, how do you tell as a man kind of like, because one of the things that I really liked about the story you just told is that there was a willingness on her part to soften. Oh yeah. I think you approached that with a lot of skill and very much in a third stage manner, especially sort of body to body. I'm here. I care about you. And I'm sorry that what I said hurt you. Uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of connection there. There's a lot of groundedness. There's, it's very third stage. And she was also willing to kind of receive that. She, yeah. she was willing and open enough to be able to receive that. And, and some women are not really able to do that. They can't actually take that in. So can you say a little bit about wh where is the line or how does a man tell, you know, do I have a shot here? Is it ever going to be for her kind of thing? Yeah. All right. Well, let, let me say a couple of things. Uh, well, let me say three or four. Let me see if I can keep them all in my head at the same time. One of the things that I've been saying for a little while, and 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 I, I'm going to say it, and and I know it probably can come across as sounding somewhat dismissive, but but it seems to really help inform this discussion. When I talk about masculine and feminine energies, one of the things I've been saying is that in my definition, the masculine is the source of love. And the reason I say that is because love is intention and action. And that's masculine qualities, intention and action. And the feminine is the receptor of love, the receiver, the seeker of love. And way, the way I put it, men really can relate to this, but women seem to as well. If we kind of get past the, the it, it seems dismissive. And I'm talking about the feminine in all of us, man, woman, not just women. 
The feminine, I've been saying, is a big empty bucket with a hole in the bottom that seeks to be filled by the masculine. And it runs, whatever comes in runs out as quickly as it comes in. That's why feminine need never ends. It, it always needs to be filled. Now, my, my coach, John Wineland, talks about husbanding in our own feminine. Men can do this. Women can do this. Where our masculine can say, what does my feminine need right now? And, and either invite others to help us meet our needs or do things to meet our own needs. So if we think in terms of feminine and us, the feminine and you know other people out there, is that empty bucket with constant need. Now, some people out there cannot fill their own bucket at all. So they are going to be in a constant state of need. Other people are pretty good at it, but we all get needy. We all do. We all get where, oh, I just feel so empty. <laughs> I'm. So, we don't really have the words for it. We just get cranky or lonely or depressed or sad or whatever. And, and it's usually because our bucket needs filled. And we can either go, oh, and consciously go do something to fill our bucket, invite somebody else to fill our bucket, go engage in a practice that fills our bucket, go be around people, whatever. But if a woman, well, let's say if anybody in a relationship, I'm talking about kind of the male-female thing here. If the woman is in the relationship and thinks her partner is going to fill her bucket 24-7, that, that's, that's, that's completely unrealistic. And as again, as a therapist, what I see a lot of couples do, we get, you know, we meet each other, we date, we move to, you know, we move closer and closer till we're in this, you know, committed long-term, you know, whatever exclusive relationship. And we get emotionally fused with each other. And what that typically means is we leave behind a lot of the other stuff we had in our life before we met this person, you know, our softball team, our girlfriends, the, the, the guy friends, the, the, you know, the, 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 and we give them up thinking, well, because we want to spend more and more time with our partner. Now, all of a sudden, the person we're with isn't the person we met. They're less because they don't have all that stuff. And we're less because we don't have all that stuff. And now we think, okay, you should fill me up. You should be making me happy. Well, another person can't. We need a team. We need a tribe. We need a, a community of resources, people, professionals, practices. Uh, we, we, just, we, we need a lot to, to fill that bucket because it's constantly emptying out. Okay? So... Mature adults recognize this. Mature adults take responsibility for getting their needs met. And whether it's through asking in real clear, direct ways or creating overt contracts with people or tussle or play, you know, we, there, there are lots of ways of getting our needs met. They don't all have to be like, if I do this, will you do this in return? They, they, they can be that, that playful tussleness. Now, kind of shift this now a little, a little bit over here. There's a term out there in the manosphere, and you've heard it, called shit test. And, and most men dislike shit tests. And, and I tell men, okay, a shit test from a woman is just checking to see, do you have your shit together? It's kind of like the Sheryl Crow song, you man enough to be my man. You know, when I'm throwing punches in the air, can, can you take it? Can you handle it? And, and that's all the shit test is, whether it's the showing up late, the not calling back, little thing, you know, it's, it's, are you going to handle it? Are you going to handle it? You know, you're grounded? Are you solid? Are you strong? Can, you know, my, my second wife used to say, I was her rock of Gibraltar and she was my Bermuda Triangle. And it's kind of like she, you know, she, she liked that solidness. And, and she knew she drove, drove me crazy uh, because she, she knew she had that tendency. So what I tell men, and this is a clear distinction, 
a shit test is never shitty behavior. It's not mean, right? If if a person is mean, hurtful, verbally abusive, attacking, demeaning, dismissive, um, don't 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 settle for that. Don't go for that. That's not a shit test. That's bad behavior. And and one of the things that you know, I'm I'm I, I've, in in recent years, I've kind of been drawn into maybe a similar community that that you're in. You know, as I got introduced to David Data uh, almost 20 years ago, done some workshops with him. The coach I work with is a you know follower of David Data with John Wineland, whom you know. And um, now I came out of a therapeutic background. Most people in this consciousness background are not therapists. You know, they're more they're more drawn into a yogic type experience. And there's there's this this terminology and this ideology of well both this dropping in and holding space and I hear that term menus holding space a lot and John at a recent retreat actually gave me a chance he said Robert can you say something about this and and what what it is is that this kind of this consciousness movement for you know the masculine is I will just hold space and let this woman just puke all over me to say everything that's on her mind, project every bad man she's ever had an experience with onto me, every abuse, every trauma, and I'll hold space. Now, the problem is nobody ever does that very well because it, it, it hurts. And I'm not sure it's loving or productive. And, and when, when I'm speaking to, to some, some of my male friends in, in this program I'm in, I said, listen, I'm a therapist. I'm a trained relationship therapist, but I'm not my wife's therapist. I don't do therapy on my wife. Now, I, I can share insights with her from time to time. The, 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 most, the, the most common insight I share with my wife is I'm a psychologist and I don't know why the hell people do what they do. That's the most common thing I say. I don't. I don't. I, I don't understand people. So, um, but I don't do therapy on her, right? I don't try to fix her. And, you know, whatever issue she brought into relationship, when I started working with my coach, he said, Robert, you got to get her into therapy. And I said, you know this, Mexicans don't go to therapy, they drink. And he goes, oh, yeah. And I'm making a generalization. But I tell my wife that, she goes, yeah, that's true. Um, but I told her, I said, you, you got to find a counselor. And, you know, here I am, an English-speaking America, American living in Mexico, married to my Mexican wife. And I didn't know was I going to find her a counselor like in L.A., Mexico City, you know, a bilingual. I, I didn't know. I, but, you know, I, I, I trusted her. And I said, hey, I'm working on my stuff. I got a coach. I'm in a men's program. I need you to, to work with a counselor. And like a week or two later, said, I found a counselor. I found a psychologist. I said, really? I said, who? Uh, it's the, the, the school counselor where the kids go to school. She has a private practice and she's going to work. Man, I go, fantastic. So I don't do that therapy with my wife. Now, I did say, you know, I need you to get into therapy. I need you to have someone to work this stuff with. And when I can't do it. that, she didn't freak out. She, she did not attack you. She didn't say, I don't need help. It's all your shit anyway. No, she didn't she's not like out. that. And that's an important moment because for a man who's been with a partner who has borderline personality disorder, who has BPD, it's very rare that a BPD person, someone that has traits is going to say, oh, you think I should be in therapy? Okay. I just found myself a therapist. That's very rare. So I just want to commend her and your relationship for that moment, because that is similar to you come up behind her, you know, your weight is there. She can feel you there. 
you say something to her and she's, she's willing to listen. She's receptive to hearing. She's able to open because it it feels to me like there's a, there, there is a line there for around BPD of she is not able to listen. She is not able to open. She is not going to budge. And I'm wondering if you can share a little bit in your experience of, of that, because you do have a relationship history with someone with BPD that I would imagine that feels really different for you being with a partner where it's like, Oh, there's, we, we, we could actually work through stuff. Yeah, we can actually yeah. write. <laughs> yeah, my my second wife, who who I was married to when, when I wrote No More Mr. Nice Guy, and who I will be eternally grateful for because she was a big stick upside my head that basically said, I'm not going to put up with you being a nice guy. You know, quote, you know, the guy that's passively pleasing and trying, you know, playing for the crowd, looking good all the time, but but then being passive aggressive and having your victim pukes. And 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 she was right. I mean, I'm, I'll be eternally grateful. But even when I said, if you don't get to therapy, I'm, I'm leaving you. And even, even on my way to therapy, I thought, how come I'm the one going to therapy? And she's the one who's unhappy all the time and angry all the time and never wants to have sex anymore and moody. And, you know, OK, I'll go figure out why me being a nice guy doesn't make her appreciate me and, and treat me better. Luckily, I got into some good, good situations where I started learning about boundaries and, and started getting deeper connection with men and started releasing shame and started getting support. But here's here's kind of the ironic thing. Even again, with my degree um, uh, in marriage and family therapy that I had at 29 before I even married my second wife, I'd never heard of borderline personality. Now, here's the thing about, about my ex. And, you know, I'll speak with her with respect. Um, she was a therapy junkie. She loved going to therapy. Now, unfortunately, I believe she got the wrong kind of therapy. She got the kind of therapy that let's go emote a lot and punch things and wail on things and scream and talk about our abuse constantly. And unfortunately, the model that's used for working with borderlines is called dialectical behavioral therapy uh, developed by Marsha Linehan at University of Washington doesn't do that. It practices mindfulness, consciousness, stepping outside of self, giving, you know, giving, um, validating our own internal reality and seeing what is the meaning of it and the story of it, but not living within it and, 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 and acting it out. And they teach self-soothing and mindfulness. So is, is it, there is effective therapy for people with, with you know, I, I often don't refer to people as borderline, I often, often refer to as having a borderline moment. You know, where where, you know, I hate you, don't leave me kind of moment, you know, I'm screaming at you what a terrible person you are, but you're not going to leave me, are you? You know, um, and. But but again, the one thing I, I found and again, I didn't know my wife was, quote, borderline until after we got divorced and a, a client of mine asked me to read some books and I started reading the books. And I go, yeah. Every one of these pages, I could give an illustration from my marriage for all, every 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 tendency of the borderline. Now, with the borderline, they often go from hating you and loving you. And a borderline is terrified of abandonment, of being left alone. And they're also terrified of anybody getting too close to them and finding out they, they believe they're, they're, they're totally defective on the inside. And so the fear is if I let you get too close to me, you'll find that out and you'll leave me or hurt me. Now, often charismatic, basically charism- or, um, borderline women are often very charismatic. Oh, they're they're good at drawing in, and I tell guys, oh, they'll draw you in with their sexuality, with their playfulness, with their humor, with their intellect, with their anger. You know, they're they're good at drawing in, and uh, I think I can say this on your show. I tell men, if a woman wants to give you a blowjob in the front seat of your car on the first date, run. 
And, and the guys always say, before or after the blowjob? And I go, well, I know you're not going to run before, but don't think, oh, I've, 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 I've died and gone to heaven. This woman is the most amazing creature I've ever met. I go, no, no, no. That, 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 that's wounding. That's not wounding that the woman might have sexual desire for you when she first meets you. But to go down on you in the front seat of your car on a first date, that's wounded behavior. And it's, gonna start, it's a precursor of other wounded behavior that you're going to see along the line. And that wounded behavior may take, you know, the constant pushing away, infidelity, addictions, extreme moods, uh, suicide attempts. Um, it, it can take a lot, a lot of different forms. Now, one of the things I was saying earlier when I, you know, spoke to some of the guys in my men's program that I'm in, I said, I told them, I'm not a trauma therapist. That's not my training. Now, I'm going to guess that almost any man, if he meets a woman older than 25 years old, is going to meet a woman who has trauma in her life. I'm going to make another one of those broad statements. For the feminine, almost everything is trauma. If it's not bliss, it's trauma. Because the feminine is done too, from, from, from externally. And it's either done too in blissful ways, as, as Data would talk about being fucked to God. I mean, that's the ultimate bliss. Or it, it's trauma, it's abuse. Um, and, and so the feminine often feels victimized and done too. the feminine in all of us. And so as, as, as men, our partners are going to have trauma. And again, I'm not a trauma therapist. And so not only do I not do therapy with my partner, I don't try to help her through her trauma work. She, you know, she, she has, she does trauma work. You know, she, she's done it with her therapist. Uh, she did a lot of trauma work when we did an ayahuasca retreat. She does her trauma work. Now, for me, what she most needs for me is to be solid. So when, you know, like if she's just like crying and, and just needing to be held, oh, I, I can do that. You know, I can do that all night long. I mean, that's the, the masculine in me feels powerful in that to, to be strong for her. But when the trauma takes the form of being abuse, of being hurtful, of, of being disrespectful, um, that is where boundaries have to come in. Now, here's an interesting thing. One of the things I found, whether it's somebody with BPD or just somebody that, you know, is deregulated in the moment, if you... I tell guys, if you go down their emotional rabbit hole, they've just set the emotional tone of what's happening. You know, that's the kind of thing with my wife and I in the kitchen today. I started following her down her, her and she, she escalated it as she turned away from me and started saying some things that she knew usually do a pretty good job of getting me hooked. And I didn't, though. And one of the things I've been teaching couples for years, if one person in a relationship can soothe themselves in the moment, it can shift an entire habitual dynamic between two people. Just one person. That's all it takes. One person to soothe themselves. So if doesn't matter which person, if one person can just soothe themselves, it can interrupt that pattern. Now, I, I gave you an example of, of my present wife just this afternoon, but I remember with, with my second wife, we could battle for hours, days, weeks, and, and ne nothing ever got resolved. But it was funny when I quit following her, down her emotional wraps, like say, for example, we'd be on the phone and, um, and she just would be picking and kind of, you know, battling and coming. And I, I just say, Hey, this isn't going anywhere. I'm going to get off the phone now. And I'd say, call me back when you're in a better mood. Now, not slamming. That's back when you had phones, you actually hung up, you know, before you just, you know, and so I wouldn't slam it. I just say, call me back when you're in a better mood. And I'd soothe myself because that made me anxious. And, and then like almost without fail, she'd call back like 45 minutes later and she'd go, 
uh, I'm sorry. I think I know what was bothering me. And I thought, wow, you know, is it just me just staying grounded long enough, not following her down that rabbit hole? And, and another experience, I, I love this, this personal story is that we were going somewhere. It was a Saturday. We had plans to go do something together. And all morning, she was just picking at me and crabbing and you know, finding fault. And, and I was just placating it and placating it because that's kind of what I did. And we went out and got in the car and I went in to you know, start, put seatbelt on, start the car. And she picked it something else, probably the way I started the car. I don't know. And, and for whatever, something happened in that moment. And, and I can't even tell you why. I turned the engine off, unbuckled my seatbelt. I turned towards her in the passenger seat and I said, listen, you've been going at me all morning. I'm not going to do this all day with you. If you have something going on that you need to work out with me, I want it all right now. And I went like that. Give it all to me. And she just slumped down. She says, I know, I'm sorry. I, I just woke up in a bad mood. I said, okay, but no more. No more. If you got something, give it all to me. No more of this picking it. And we had a good day. We had a good day. So a lot of this is, is that it's not our job to hold space while they treat us badly, while they dump every, you know, the residue of, you know, beginning with daddy of every man that's ever hurt them. That's not our job. And it's not loving to them to let them wallow and spin in it. Now, a, a, a trained therapist can actually help them work with this in a productive way that they, they can heal and release and move forward, not just keep perpetually spinning in it from relationship to relationship. Yeah, and a trained therapist who is familiar with borderline, because I've also had clients or people kind of to your point who've gone to therapists and it's not really therapy. It's more just a bitch session. And that's not what we're talking about. I know you mentioned dialectical behavioral therapy, DBT. I'm going to drop that in the show notes because I know some listeners are going to want to know a little bit more about that. And, you know, I think that, it's, it's, it's also challenging to know when to walk away, right? Meaning like, when, when is it like, okay, I've tried, tried for a long time. I've tried in a lot of ways. Doesn't feel like this is getting better. Can you speak a little bit to, yeah, kind of how does a man know when, when it's healthy tussling and how does he know when it's like, okay, this is now, this is now time to leave. It's now, this is crossed a line. What, what is that? Yeah, you know, and that's a good question. I, you know, I've seen a book. I've never read it, but every now and then I, I cro- come across it on Amazon. And the, the book is something like um, um, Too Bad to Stay, Too Good to Leave or something like that. You know, I thought, man, that's a good title. I like book titles. I thought, that's a good title. And I, I've been there. And I thought probably many of us have been there, you know, considering how many relationships do end over time. I mean, the, the majority of them do. Um we stay as long as we do because there are good things there. And we go, but I like this thing. I liked a lot of things about my first two wives. Um, I like a lot of things about my present wife. And I've thought about leaving before. Now, here's the deal. There, there's this, this can actually be toxic as well. I know I, I've looked back and I probably spent the first seven years of my second marriage giving it six more months to get better or I was getting out. And again, that's toxic. That's not healthy. That wasn't healthy for me to be, to be like one foot in, one foot out, leaning out, thinking, well, if it doesn't get better. Um, and one of the things I coach men, because I mainly, I primarily work with men nowadays, is, you know, get all the way in or get all the way out. 
None of this, well, let's see if it gets better. Let's see that. So get in and either bring your entire self, your consciousness, your presence, your boundaries, your truth, your honesty, you know, bring it all or get the hell out. Don't, don't do this. Well, let's just wait and see. Now, none of us are going to meet a perfect person. None of us are going to meet a perfect partner. We all have wounds. We all have trauma. We all have pain. We all, I, I, I love um, Pima Chodron. A Buddhist monk. And one of my favorite books is, is The Wisdom of No Escape. And it's a series of lectures. And in there, she talks about how since childhood, we've been armoring up. We all have different kinds of armor. And it's there to protect us from the hurts. You know, we all want to get close. But every time we got close, we got hurt. And we also, we, so we have this protective defensive armor. And we have our offensive weaponry, too. That, you know, kind of like that song, Hallelujah. You know, I, what, I, what I learned of love is I just outdrew, you know, the person. You know, so we, we've learned to have, have our offensive, you know, weaponry. And, and Pima Chodron talks about the ways we learn to start unlacing, unsnapping, unbuckling, unzipping, un taking this armor off and, and practicing being vulnerable, putting down our weaponry and letting people get close. Now, if I'm with somebody who's willing to do that, I'm in it. I'm in it. Right? If they're willing to keep being vulnerable, acknowledging their stuff, being open to 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 using the relationship, I call them powerful personal growth machines. If, if, if the partner is willing to keep growing along with me and outgrowing me at times, so I got to catch up. If the partner's willing to do that, I, I can deal with a lot of imperfection. Now, I've learned that I, I don't deal with, with disrespect, uh, verbal abuse, um, you know, there's just a repetitive behavior that just they they show no sign of ever being able to get it. You know, and, and my wife's got trauma. My 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 wife has been through more trauma than any person should ever have to experience. And she's still a generous, open-hearted, loving person who gets triggered and she has her triggers. And but she's never disrespectful to me in her triggers. She doesn't lash out at me. And 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 so for me, as long as she's in it, that she's growing and she's open and she's working on it and she's open hearted. Um, yeah, I'll sign up for that and I'll stick around for that. And now once a person I, I I'm, I'm going to say something that, you know, probably if my exes were sitting here that they, they, they would have their say about it. Um, from my point of view, every relationship I'm not in anymore. No, I, I, I was every long-term relationship and I've had a couple that were not marriages. Um, and this is my point of view, of course, because I brought my baggage and my, my, my stuff to, but every relationship I'm not in, it was because at some point my partner dug in her heels basically and said, Nope, ain't going to do anymore. Not going to grow anymore. Not going to challenge myself anymore. Not going to open anymore. Uh, this is as far as it goes. And then I usually stick around about three more years, <laughs> you know, what, what, it, not really knowing I, you know, I, and then, you know, when I, by the time I got out, it felt like I'd been trying, you know, pulling a semi truck behind me, trying to pull it along to keep, and again, that makes me sound like, Oh, look at me. I'm, I'm the one, you know, doing all the good stuff. Man, I, I bring my, my baggage. I'm, I, I'm also using my relationships as powerful personal growth machine, but I'm committed to keep growing. And if my partner is too, we're going to have a good time. If they're not, if they've yeah. dug their heels in and said, nope, not, not going to do any more work on me. It's like, that's all the farther we go then. 
Yeah, and I, I appreciate what you said about I kind of have a fence and then I stay for another three years. And something that Jason and I talk about a lot is that is part of why it's so important to have a men's group or <laughs> yeah, consciousness community, people that you trust that are wise, whether that's mentors or friends, but a men's group is a great, really good spot because there's there are people that are tracking you and helping you sort of reflecting back what they're seeing and providing a mirror of saying, this is now the sixth you know, time that you've brought this up, this exact yeah. dynamic. And so it's a lot harder to stay for way too long when you're in those kinds of communities. It's really easy when you're isolated. And, and I've talked to client after client who has been become isolated in these kinds of relationships that we're talking about and either haven't realized it or their partner has kind of been like, I don't like that person or that person slighted me or, you know, oh, yeah. oh, they yeah. have allowed themselves to cut out sometimes siblings, parents. Really oh, yeah. I, I, I tell men that to never let a partner tell you that you can't see your best friend. You can't, you know, you, you can't be around your family. Do not. Cause that, that is that's one of that's red flag. That those, is those are signs. Red flag. Yes. If you, if you go look up, you know, abusive relationship, that, that's one of the key things is they cut you off from the other yeah. people in your life. Yeah. So I I'm glad you said that because one of the things I realized, again, I, I've bumbled my way through every relationship I've had. They're, they're not, you know, pair-bodied, lifelong, sexually exclusive relationships with the opposite sex are not natural. They're not normal. Humans have never done them successfully. And, 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 and that's, why, that's why you and I are talking. <laughs> if it was easy, it'd be easy. But the, again, we can learn so much from them. And, and, and that's my intention is to keep learning. So when, when I married my wife, we're coming up to our sixth anniversary in just uh, a couple months. In the first year of marriage, I'm, I'm, I'm living down in Mexico. Um, my, my wife and her kids speak Spanish. I, I, I had decent restaurant Spanish when she and I met. We we're on our phones with the apps out, you know, translating every word to have a conversation. And um, so I'm down here in Mexico and living in a foreign country. I'm not fluent in the language. And one of the things I learned about me is that when I reached that point where the relationship had quit growing because my partner dug her heels in, and then I stayed three more years, and then the part I left out, I act badly. I do things that are hurtful because I, I'm I'm just not naturally a good ender, and that's a that's a skill set I I I I I have to work at. And so I realized I did not want to fall in that trap again. So when my wife and I began to have struggles in our first year of marriage, I started communicating with, you know, I, in workshops I led, I started communicating, I need a coach, I need a men's group, I need a men's program. And thank goodness, one man attending my program was in a men's program. And he said, I know this guy, and he's worked with David Data, and we do these retreats. And I go, I'm in, sign me up. And I contacted him and I've been in his men program for over five years. And I, I know some really important men in your life. And I'm, I'm in an ongoing biweekly men's group with some important men in your life that I met five years ago. And um, it's been crucial to both my, my sanity, my growth as a man and my growth, uh, the growth of my marriage. And the fact that we're still together, I attribute because I got into a men's group where not only I could get, you know, that, that, that confrontation when necessary, the accountability, but I, I knew myself that when things got bad, 
I withdraw and then I slip into bad behavior. And I thought, I need some people who I have no secrets from. That if I start slipping in any way, they know about it. I'm talking to them about it. I tell them about it. And the, and they'll know that about me. And so they'll watch for the warning signs. So, yeah, I, I'm pre you're preaching to the choir. I, I'm such a big a proponent of men's groups, both for just, you know, for any man, any man, but especially navigating relationship and, and, you know, men's group where not that, oh, the woman's terrible, it's her fault, you know, it's really easy to get, you know, just pile onto that stuff. But, you know, when the, you know, when the, I know when I, when I was leading men's groups, I'd tell a guy, if he came in and he was complaining about his partner, I go, you get two sessions to complain about your partner. This session and next session, complain away, <laughs> enjoy it, because the third session, we're going to start looking for, you know, what are you bringing that's causing problems? What do you need to start doing different? We're not, we're, we're taking her out of the spotlight and off the pedestal and, and we're going to work on you. So, you know, it's okay, you know, go somewhere and gripe a little bit, but at some point we say, okay, how do I lead this forward? How do yeah. I show up differently? Yeah, this reminds me of an exchange that I had uh, when I was young. I came to my mom and my sister, Kenda, had done something egregious, like stolen my, I don't know, skirt or something. I was going to say, she took or your sweater, wore me. it, didn't yeah. tell you, crumpled so it up, threw it in it. a corner somewhere, and you couldn't find it when you wanted to wear it. Actually, and then denied that she did it, right? I think it was more physical. I think, I think it was, <laughs> I came to my mom and I said, Kenda hit me. And my mom said, and what happened right before Kenda hit you? And I said, I bit her. <laughs> Sometimes huh. you know, we don't have the whole picture of, of you know, what this person's doing, what that person's doing. And that's a good example of when a man is grounded in himself, when he is able to regulate and when he has healthy boundaries, a lot of other things shift. Sometimes that includes leaving a relationship, but yeah. things can shift drastically on his side that will impact impact her. And you get more information because if you're like, you're doing a lot of the things and she's not budging at all, like you said, her heels are dug in. Well, that's information. Now you yeah. got to make an evaluation based on, based on where you are. Exactly. I, I want to make sure that we cover uh, positive emotional tension, like you PET, yeah. PET and, and sort of healthy tussling. Cause I think a lot of this is sort of falling into like tuss healthy tussling is not endless arguing. That's not, that's not what it is. And a lot of feminine partners, myself included, I don't like fighting. I don't want to fight mm. with you. That's not actually fun for me. My nervous system is super triggered. My stomach is in knots. I don't really want to fight with you, but I want to engage with you. I want to feel deeply connected to you. And if we're just doing surface level connection, there's this craving that I have of like, oh, I want more. Like I want, it's a little bit like eating, you know, when you have one of those days where you don't really have time for real meal. And so you're always, you're like you eating a handful of nuts or like a piece of fruit, or you're kind of catching as catch can and, but you never really feel full. That's a little bit my experience of like, if I haven't deeply connected with my partner in a while, yeah. I'm just like, Oh, like I'm a little irritated and you know, I want something more. So what I know men will have this question of like, what can they do or what do you advise in terms of helping to generate healthy tussle or like positive emotional tension mm -hmm. instead of having to wait for 
you know, her to be annoyed or kind of poking. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that, 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 that's like the male that. strategy. Yeah. Wait, 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 wait till she seems pissed off, then we'll address it. You know, guys are always checking. Is she okay? Is she in a good mood? Is she, she, yeah. <laughs> if I, if my wife walks in and I hear her being playful with the dog, I go, oh, okay, good. She's in a good mood. <laughs> she's never angry at me if she's playful with the dog. Um, so this is where I think masculine leadership comes in. And, and, I think probably most people, you know, listening to your program, you know, probably already pretty grounded in in things like, you know, masculine, feminine leadership, things like that. We're not talking about, um, you know, patriarchy. We're not talking about control. We're not talking, but I'm going to use a couple terms that still are pretty sensitive and, and hopefully y'all I'll put them out there in a way that, that we can hear them. But a couple of important words are dominance and submission. And again, because there's history connotation, written in a dominance and submission, um, though those kind of get people up. But I have found a way to create, for, for, for men to create conscious uh, tension, positive emotional tension, and tussle is through dominance and submission. But a, a loving dominance, is a very conscious dominance and submission. I remember, I, remember, I think this was the, the second David Data workshop I attended. This has been, you know, 12 years or so ago. And there was a guy in there and he's probably a nice guy. Well, actually the woman started talking first. The woman stood up and they had, you had about like a hundred women on one side of the room, hundred guys on the other. The woman started talking up and standing. It was kind of basically sounded like she was a pretty strong woman, but she wanted her man to kind of like match her in her strength. And, and so, you know, data said, well, is your partner here? And she, yeah. And he, so he's sitting over here on the other side of the and, you know, and, and it, it's, I think he was a nice guy, you know, the, the kind of men I, I, I write about and work with, you know, passively pleasing, whatever you want, dear, sure, if it makes you happy, what do you want to do? Okay, sure, 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 dear, we'll go to a David Data workshop. Yeah, no problem, you know, that kind of thing. And, um, and again, you know, Data can be such a genius, and, and he is a genius, and, and he, he started this thing, and he had both of them stand up, and he said, can I give you guys an assignment? And, and you know, they both agreed, all right, he said, all right, when you guys go back, to your hotel room tonight, he said, he said to the woman, I'm going to ask you to agree to something. And that is that you cannot do anything without the permission of your partner. You want to go to the bathroom, you have to ask for permission. You want to get undressed, you have to say, can I get undressed now? And then you kind of address to the guy and, and you have to tell her what to do. All right. Because you have to wait for me now, or we're going to go do this. You know, yes, you can take your clothes on. Yes, you can go to the bathroom now. And as David is, is working people, through, you know, working them through this, the women over on their side of the room are all going, ah, ah, ah. You know, as he was describing a situation to where, you know, the woman submitted to a loving conscious dominance of her partner. Now, if, if you think about it, all sex has a dominant pole and a submissive pole. Otherwise, it's two bodies laying next to each other, waiting for something to happen. There's a doer and a doey, right? There's somebody is doing, somebody's penetrating, someone's being penetrated. Now, in great sex, that that that, that changes places pretty frequently, but usually there's a default doer in in most situations. Now that that's dominance. While I'm doing, I'm I'm being dominant. While I'm being done too, I'm submitting, right? And I like submitting, and. Again, taking this out of kind of the old patriarchal thing. So true polarity always exists in the context of dominance and submission, the yin and the yang. Now, usually 
in, in most modern relationships, if you're conscious, there's a reciprocity. There's a trading off of those roles. It's not just static. You know, I'm always dominant. You're always submissive. It's, it's much more playful than that. It's much more adventurous than that. But I tell men, I said, listen, if you're the default masculine character, you at least have to get the ball rolling. So one of the things that I do, I, I, I had a new client that I started working with this last week. And um, he and his wife have never had much sex and um, from the very beginning. And, and, you know, there's not, he said, there's no real tension, no polarity. And I said, okay, I'm going to give you an assignment. And I said, starting now, I want you to have a short conversation with your wife and just tell her, hey, from now on, I'm going to open your door. In all contexts, I'm going to open your door. Getting in and out of the car, going in and out of the house, going in and out of the store. Wait for me. I'll open your door. Now, that's that's just saying you're going to do that is dominance, right? Her listening to you do it and then following is submission. And then every time you open the door, you're creating a dominant energy and she's submitting. There's polarity, right? There's a yin and yang. There's an energy flow to it. Now, men get really freaked out by this. And there's a woman that taught me this. I, I, I had... I'd gone on one date with a woman. I met her in, up in the Seattle area, and she was visiting from Germany. And she went back to Germany, and she said, would you like to come visit me? And I go, why not? So after one date, I, I made a trip to Germany. I didn't have any high expectations other than, yeah, why not? Go to Germany. And, uh, and she was a purser for an airline, so we, we took a flight to London. I'd never been to London. So she, we did a whirlwind tour of London, you know, all the sites, went to Harrods and all that stuff. And, you know, during that day, she stopped me. She said, listen, I need to know something. Are you going to open my door for me? I thought, oh, what have I done? What have I done? You know, did I do something wrong? You know, was it wrong to open the door? Or she, you know, and she said, no, no, I don't care. If you open the door, great. If you don't open my door, great. Just tell me. Because sometimes you open it, sometimes you don't. I just need to know. I said, I'll open your door. From that day on, I've told every woman I'm with, I'm with I, I, wait for me. I'll open your door. My mother my granddaughter, who's now about to be 16, been doing opening her door. She she's the only one that's ever resisted. She she liked to hop out and run away. Um, she's quit resisting several years ago, but it was a game when she was younger. Um, my my 17 year old stepson opens the door for his mother. You know, it's just it's it's just. And I tell guys, do it, do it all the time. And the first time you forget it, there's going to be hell to pay. She's going to say, "Wait, you trained me." I'm sitting here in the car waiting and, you know, you walked off and left me. Right. And, and I said, you should pay the price for it because it's creating a consciousness. It's, it's more than just like, I'm in charge. We're going to do it my way. It's more like I'm paying attention. I'm here. You're the queen. You're the princess. I'm, I'm, I'm here. Open the door. And whenever my wife drives, she opens my door to get in on the passenger side. So, you know, why not, why not reciprocate it? I know when I trained my mother, and I, I tell guys, I've had to do this with my mother a couple of times. I've had, to, I've had to chest bump her back into the car, close the door, open it back up, and say, we have rules here, right? And my, my mother said, well, if I was waiting for your dad to open my door, I'd still be waiting. He's been dead 12 years. So it's playful. It's playful. And, and, and if, I, if we have time, I think we do. I'm going to tell a quick story about tussle and the polarity that comes out of this. So I've only had one woman. In all the years I've been telling women, wait for me, I'll open your door. One woman to resist it. Some women, you have the, 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 it's not a habit they have, so it takes a little practice. Like I said, a few, few chest bumps back into the car, close the door and open it again and make fun of it. Be playful. But I, I went several years ago, went on a Match.com date. And um, she, the woman indicated that she did salsa dance. And I was taking salsa lessons at the time. So, okay, let's, let's start. 
So we, we arranged a date. I went to her neighborhood. I, I let her pick the, a place to meet. And so we went and had a coffee. And that was the evening. And I said, I'm hungry. I said, I, I'm going to grab a bite to eat. Would you like to come with me? And she said, sure. So I said, well, it's your neighborhood. You, why don't you pick a place and we'll go. Now, see, this is still me saying all the time. Even though I'm asking her to pick a place, I'm, I'm still setting the tone. You pick a place for us, right? So um, we go to get in my car. I was driving a Mercedes E-Class at the time. And, you know, I, I unlocked it, opened her door, put her in, and go around. And she, the, the, the diner was about two blocks from where we're at. And so what we said is here. So I parked on the street, pulled up. I just kind of lightly touched her legs and wait for me. I'll come open your door. Well, before I could get out, she jumped out of the car door. And before I could even, and then she ran to the door of the diner. And before I could get up there, she's inside. And then she goes and like, we get a table and she sits down. She goes, I don't like to be controlled. I said, I don't want to control you. And so I, I don't like men telling me what to do. I said, well, I, I'm not going to tell you what to do. But I said, if you hang out with me, I'll open your door. And she goes, well, I, you know, I just don't like being controlled. I go, well, I'm not going to control you. I have no desire to control you. And, and, and I said, but if you hang out with me, I'll open your door. So that conversation kind of, you know, sputtered. And then, okay, we ate, got up to leave. Again, she beat me to the door of the diner and, and headed out. But she had to wait at the car because <laughs> I had the key. So, and I didn't open it till I got there. So I open it, you know, put her back in the car, drive her back to her car. Again, she jumps out of my car before I can come around and open the door. And, um, and I, so I say goodbye, nice to meet you. And I'm driving home thinking, uh, another one and done. Well, next day I get an email from her. And she says, you know, I think we got to get off on the wrong foot. But, you know, I, 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 like, I liked you. I, I, I'd like to see you again. And I, I wrote back and I said, okay. So I, I tried an experiment. Right? She doesn't like being told what to do. Doesn't like being controlled. I said, okay. Meet me next Thursday night at this tapas place up on Capitol Hill in Seattle. We'll have something to eat. We'll walk up the street to, to Century Ballroom. We'll go salsa dancing. I got, I've got something the next morning, so I can't stay real late. But, you know, let's, let's, how about that? And she, and she wrote back, she, that all sounds good. So this is all me setting the tone and leading, right? Being in the dominant masculine polarity. So we, we meet at the, the place and she sits down and again in the diner and she said, I, you know, I, I think we just got off on the wrong foot. I just don't like being controlled. I just kept saying, I don't want to control you, but if you hang out with me, I'll open your door. So we had our dinner and we got up to leave and she waited going out the door and I opened it and we walked up the street. I probably gave her an arm and probably walked up the street like that, got to a century ballroom. She waited. I opened the door. And we went in, and for about an hour, I led her around the dance floor. Not once did she say, I don't like being controlled. <laughs> she followed my lead on the dance floor. And I said, all right, I got to take off. You know, I, I, I got to get up early in the morning. I'll walk you back to your car. She was parked on another street somewhere. So, uh, again, we left, waited, opened her door. We got to her car and kind of went to just, I was just kind of like going to shake her hand, tell her goodnight, maybe give her a kiss on the cheek. It's what I usually do. She put her arms around my neck, wrapped both legs around one of my legs, put her tongue down my throat, and started dry humping me on the sidewalk right there in front of her vehicle. And I said, I think this is about as far as we can go on a public street. And the point was, is that that was there was tussle going on in all of that. I wasn't trying to dominate or control her in an unlo. I just said, here's how I am. You hang out with me, here's how I'll be with you. And that consistency, that strength, that not getting sucked into their, it, it activated something really powerful that she wanted more of. 
And so I, I love that story because it is such a great example of tussle in a very positive flow of the yin and the yang, the masculine and feminine, dominance and submission that then can easily, like I said, be reversed and flip-flopped in other ways. So there's my that, tussle story. That's a great tussle story. I also, I like that there's, you know, various sociological research about communication, but it's generally understood that only about eight to 20% of communication is verbal. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard that. About 92% of communication is not verbal. And so that the, the energy you were holding was, this is kind of how I'm being, you know, and there's, there was a way that you heard her, which is she needed to be heard in, I don't want to be controlled. She obviously had trauma and wounding around that, which I would say I do too, of like, I don't want to be controlled. And there was a soothingness about you saying like, I don't want to control you. I'm not trying to control you. And if you hang out with me, I'm going to open your door. There's like a, there's a yes and a no of, I see you, I hear you, I'm listening, I'm paying attention. And here's what I offer. Here's Mm -hmm. who I am. Here's what I offer. And here's who I am. So you are at choice about whether to hang out with me. You, I'm not going to control what you do. You, you are totally at choice. And if you hang out with me, here's what I offer. And that's what I think is really powerful about knowing yourself and being grounded and why, why it's so important to do the work. Because when you do know, here's who I am, here's what I offer, there's a centeredness to that yeah. rather than, oh, oh, no, I totally get it. Like, I won't open your door. The, yeah. the, like, right oh, I, I, I was being a, you know, oh, I'm a so bad sorry. man. I thought about that. I should never open your door in the first place. You're right. That's not holding any kind of tension really that's just sort of caving but there was a groundedness that you had already earned by the by the time you got to that point that you were able to be there's a beingness to you in what you were saying and how you were saying it that had her respond like oh maybe I can be safe with this man and receive maybe when she she opened she opened yeah (laughs) because that's the feminine bliss the feminine (laughs) bliss is to open Yes. And, 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 and the feminine can only open in the presence of the strong masculine. Yes. The grounded masculine. The grounded masculine. I like that in terms of especially the consciousness around things. Like I think conscious tension, right? Positive emotional tension, yeah. positive tussling is I am holding my ground, but I'm not trying to assert myself over you. I'm not gonna take <laughs> I'm not gonna take out my chaotic feminine on you, which is what I think we've seen a lot in terms of the toxic masculine. I feel like the toxic masculine is actually just their chaotic feminine coming out. It's not yeah. the same thing as a grounded, conscious masculine saying, Here's what I offer. I and I see you, I'm listening, I'm paying attention, I'm here. And that doesn't mean I'm gonna agree with everything. It doesn't mean we're always going to do what you say or what you want. I'm going to listen. I'm going to be here. I'm going to be present. I'm not going to shut you down, but I'm still online. I'm still right. I'm still here. I'm going to, I'm going to filter it through what feels true to me and what feels authentic and what feels grounded. And there's something trustable about that because the untrustable, the person who caves all the time isn't trustable. It doesn't feel like there's nowhere, there's nothing to kind of hold on to. It's kind of like, Oh, that's, 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 a, that's a whole nother podcast right there. Yeah, because, yeah. Because the feminine is, is a security-seeking creature, and trust is everything. And that, that's why the feminine closes down, and, and because 
Trust is everything. I, I was doing a, a radio interview one time a few years ago with two women about my age. And um, it was a, a radio show aimed at women. I was in the studio with the two women and on a commercial break. I said something to the women. I said, you know, I tell men what I tell men. I said, if you fuck with a woman's trust, you fuck with her lust. And and I, the way I said it to the two women in the studio, I said, I tell men, if you mess with a woman's trust, you're going to mess with her lust. And they said, oh, when we go back on the air, you need to say that. I said, well, we can say that on the radio. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I got him out of the air and said it. Okay. I ran into one of those women, I don't know, a year or so later in a coffee shop. She was actually there with a, a coach that I knew and sat down and said, do you remember me? I said, yeah, I did the radio interview with you. She said, do you remember that thing you said about trust? I go, uh-huh, I remember that. And she said, I went home and told my husband that. We've been married like 30 years and said, that had never crossed my mind. I went home and told my husband that. And she said, he said, I told him, that is so true. If you mess with my trust, you're going to mess with my lust. So that, 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 when when nice guys are trying to please and placate and whatever you want to do, dear, oh yeah, and, and hiding and you know, not not even just telling lies, just not being solid, not being what you see is what you get, holding your finger up and checking the wind, you know, to, to make sure she's happy. All of that causes the feminine to lose trust. And one thing I've told men for a long time, women can handle a difficult truth. They just can't handle being lied to. And we and we lied. You know, we men lie to women in so many different ways, usually in what we withhold. But again, we can we can go down a whole nother podcast with with this stuff. Yeah, we're gonna start to wrap here, but I think that's a good example of, you know, a lot of the, the men that I work with. It's also a lot easier. What I have the feedback I've gotten from men is as they step into their power and they get into the community and they start owning themselves more and they it's not something you can fake you have to actually go through and do the work for it but then they find like it's actually a lot easier and simpler oh, yeah. and takes less time and actually takes less energy in the end and is oh yeah smoother. you know there's just such a payoff to developing yourself and stepping into your power and 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 doing the personal growth work ultimately i think it pays off a lot more the the, the input in is you know huge, huge payoff, not just a little bit, a lot. So yeah. that's something we can all look forward I, to. I agree. Yeah. When men show up with integrity, authenticity, transparency, nothing hidden, nothing half-assed, everything gets easier. Everything gets easier, especially dealing with the feminine. It gets yes. easier. Yes. That's, that's all the feminine wants to know. Can I trust you? Mm -hmm. Can I trust you? Do you see me? Yeah. Do you, do you see me? Am I loved? Do you love me? Yeah. Yeah. And a really present, grounded man that's actually there with me, looking at me, being with me, noticing me. I feel loved through that. That's part of how I receive love. That's, I think, brings us full circle to why I was poking the bear. Because I'm like, yeah. do you see me? Do you do you see I'm over here? Are you noticing me? Because I want to feel loved. And that's how I feel loved. Your yeah. deep presence is how I feel loved. Yeah, when you told that story, I thought, yeah, you guys are walking down the street, going to get pizza or whatever. He's probably thinking, okay, the pizza place right around here. Let's see. I know they got this on the menu. And probably when we get there, we'll order this. And and I wonder if the ball game will be on the television when we get there. And you're going, huh? Where, are, where did you go? Where yeah. are you right now? And he's yeah. probably thinking, I'm thinking about us. I'm thinking about what we're going to order when we get there. <laughs> Oh, this is great. Um, so how do people find you if they're interested in learning more? Just come down to Puerto Vallarta. It's pretty <laughs> easy. Um, DrGlover.com, D-R-G-L-O-V-E-R.com. If they Google Robert Glover, Google No More Mr. Nice Guy, I, I get all the top spots. I'm even ahead of Alice Cooper. 
Um, nice. So, yeah, drglover.com will, will, will handle it. And I'll put that in the show notes as well. Great. 